You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. It is a joy to be preaching about joy this morning. I've been very convicted this week um, as we are continuing our series, um, the series, The Fruit of the Spirit, and today we are speaking about joy. Um, anyways, I, I, would you stand with me? It's, it's really hard to get away from, from the verse by verse studying the word, and, and uh, even though this is more of a thematical, a topical series, uh, I, we still have a main teaching passage that I want to kind of journey through today, uh, and I want to read it right at the beginning. I'll have an intro to this topical you know, series, this, you know, joy, for instance, for today, but then we do have a teaching, a main teaching passage that I want us to just run by. It is, yeah, just can't get away from that. And that's a good thing because I think that's kind of the best way of, of uh, just teaching the Bible and studying the word of God. So 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. If you haven't brought a Bible today, that's fine. We have it on the screen. Uh, but next time, would you bring a Bible, please? All right, let's read God's word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, in what? In this living hope. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. I want to say that again. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word this morning, this, this passage, Lord God, in First Peter that we're walking through today. Lord, we're going to talk about joy, and this is a fruit of the Spirit. So I ask, Father, that through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would bear this fruit in us. Would you please use this time, Father, to grab a hold of our hearts with the gospel, and that, Father, that you would open our eyes to the truth of your word. I pray that you would do a great work in all of our hearts, Father. Lord, and we thank you in advance for all that you're going to do today. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart that is, that is uh, moldable and transformable. And, and I pray that for every single person here. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. So we're spending nine weeks in this series called The Fruit of the Spirit. We've already covered two weeks. We talked about love two weeks ago, and then last week, Raz talked about peace. Let me remind us of our premise for this series. Um, the reason why so many times after we get saved, so many of us go back to the 
you know, the old habits, the old sinful habits, sexual immorality, lying on a regular basis, or addiction to alcohol, or, or other things, whatever that sin, that lifestyle is, the reason is that we haven't replaced these old habits with the new things that God wants to grow in our new life. Since the Holy Spirit is now residing in our life, right, one of his missions is to grow us into maturity and to grow these fruits in our life. Galatians 2.18, and we, we mentioned this verse two weeks ago when we talked about love, speaks about this, and it says, this is Apostle Paul, and he says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, if I rebuild that old life that I tore down, right? That's what he's, he's referring to. I prove myself to be a transgressor. Now, Apostle Paul is using this metaphor of rebuilding and demolition. And the point that Paul is making is this, looking at the amazing life God has brought us into, it's just pure insanity for me and for us to run back to those old habits that destroyed our life in the first place. That's what he's saying. When we've tasted the sweetness of freedom in Christ, why do we run back to those old habits that die so hard? Why would you run to slavery when Jesus purchased our freedom? Why do we do that? Well, the answer is this. We run back to our old habits and old lifestyle because we haven't grown fruit. That's why. We haven't replaced this old lifestyle with something new, with a new life that God has in store for us. And in the same way that the gospel is about demolition, a demolition project, removing the garbage and the old stuff from our life, bringing us from death to life, right? If we haven't started to actually live into this new life God has in store for us, then inevitably that old life is going to come back and creep back in. Now, Apostle Paul makes this point in Galatians 5, and we read a, a big portion of it of Galatians 5, uh, two weeks ago. I'm not going to do that again, but let me at least read verses 22 to 24, 22 and 23 at least. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So today we're focusing on the fruit of joy. And I want to start by asking you to recall to your mind, and everyone, no one's exempt from this, so would you please entertain me. Call to your mind the happiest moment of your life, or one of the happiest moments of your life. Try to think about that moment that, you know, one of the moments in your life that filled you with the most joy, the most happiness. Maybe a special celebration, maybe your wedding day, maybe the birth of a child, or maybe it was a day where, where I don't know, you received this just awesome gift that it was overwhelmingly extravagant and meaning, meaningful, or maybe it was a special vacation that you took with your parents, or, or who knows. Just recall that to your mind, please. Now, I want you to rate that experience of joy, of happiness, at 10 on the joy scale or on the happiness scale. And so if that's one of the happiest moments of your life, that would be a 10 out of 10, right? That would be a 10 out of 10. Makes sense, right? And I, I, what I want you to do now is think about how happy and joyous are you in this immediate season, like this week, like this morning, today. How happy are you compared to that 10 out of 10 experience? And what would you say? 
What would you say? Would it, are you even close to that? Are you at a five out of 10, a three out of 10, a 0.1 out of 10? The reality is that joy, this thing that we are talking about today, joy is a, is a fruit of the spirit. We said that two weeks ago, Raz said it last week, we're gonna say it every single week because it's a fruit of the spirit. It is a fruit that can only be grown by the Holy Spirit. And also, it is something that God wants to fill your life with, my life with. And I hope that's clear for everyone. God's not, God doesn't want you to be sad and full of sorrow. That's not his plan. God's plan for you, for your life, is that you would be filled with the real kind of joy that only he can bring about in your life. And yet, for so many of us, that's not the case. And yet for so many of us, we don't experience it at all sometimes. I would actually say that it's even a misconception that being a Christian will make your life miserable. I actually hear that many times. I don't know if you have. Well, you know, all these rules and regulations and in the Old Testament and all the following Jesus rules and all that, it's too much to handle and it sucks the fun and the joy right out of life. Have you heard that before? I have. <laughs> You'll even hear some Christians talk like this. Well, I know, you're, you know we're missing all the fun in the world. You know, man, I wish I could, but at least we're saved. Like what? <laughs> we joke about that, but some Christians feel this envy towards the world. And I'd be lying to you if I would say that the things of this world don't make you happy, don't make us happy. The world has no excitement or happiness to offer. That would be a lie, wouldn't it? In fact, our problem in temptation is exactly that, that we're, we're attracted to the things of this world too much because they make us happy and they keep us excited, right? I mean, check out what Psalm 73 verses 2 and 3 say. This passage, and it says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Huh. I bet that Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, who is filthy rich, is enjoying a beautiful and a great breakfast right now as we're in church. I bet that he's really enjoying himself sitting on the beach on his tropical private island somewhere in the Maldives and we're stuck in church. <laughs> so let me ask, are you envious of that? That you're stuck in church this morning? So again, it would be foolish to pretend that having lots of money and buying whatever we want won't give you a good feeling, a good feeling of happiness and joy. This is a good time in the sermon to say this. The happiness that people can experience, that all of us can experience in the world is based on three main things. Three main things. And the first one is feeling good. If you feel good, man, I'm happy. I'm having, you know, if, if I feel good, I'm just, 
full of joy, full of happiness, right? And, and you know, you're, you're just pursuing things that make you feel good, different kinds of substances, right? From twisted sexual stuff to drugs and alcohol and the, and the high that we get from binging Netflix for three straight days and any gratification of the flesh that makes you feel good, right? If you feel good, I'm gonna base my happiness on that. The second one, is getting what you want, getting what you want. And we base our happiness on getting what we want. What we're talking about here is having a desire for something and then fulfilling it by getting that possession or that thing that you want, that we want. And the third thing that happiness in the world is based on is this idea that things in life are going well. And if things in life are going well, then man, I'm happy, I'm full of joy, right? How are things going at your house? Well, you know, we're all healthy. The kids are healthy. We still have our jobs. We have money to travel. I'm happy. Things are going well. Therefore, I am happy. And so these three things that we, can, that we base our happiness on can, can bring you some level of joy or some level of happiness. And yet, and yet, I want to highlight, what I want to highlight is this incredible fragility and instability of the happiness of the world. And the question that everyone is asking, that should ask is, well, how can you still be happy when things are not going well? How, how can you still be happy when you can't buy whatever you want? How can you still be happy when you can't satisfy your deepest cravings and desires? I mean, happiness in some ways... And the measure of the world is a luxury then for the rich and the powerful, right? Not everyone has money to buy whatever they want. What if you can't afford what you want? And even then, what if you're not feeling good anymore? Because all we want, you know, because we, we, we all know that there is this law of diminishing return. We're chasing this feeling that is ever fleeting. And once you have it, it's not really that, you know, all that anymore. We need a bigger high and... I said all of that to say this. This is the difference between the world's version of happiness and what the Bible calls the joy of the Lord. Because when we experience the joy of the Lord, there is this stability, this consistency, this satisfaction deep inside and a happiness that you and I can experience in Christ even in the worst moment of our life. Someone said it like this. There is joy available that the deepest grief cannot put out. No circumstance or person can take away the joy that God gives. So the truth is that this Christian joy or the joy of the Lord that we're talking about this morning is not based on getting what we want. It's not based on things going well in our life or gratifying our desires. It's actually based on this beautiful reality of God's Holy Spirit in us who is helping us focus on the beauty of God and joy comes from that. Here's our definition of joy for today. And it's our first main point. We're gonna have five main points in one practice. Things that I... I love because we need some handles. We need something to take home with us. So our first main point, which is the definition of joy for today, is this. 
Joy is the feeling you get from being satisfied in God. Joy is the feeling you get from being satisfied in God. It's the feeling that we get when we're fully satisfied, when we're fully content. And that feeling is wholly and solely based on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And I would say that's the reason why so many Christians are not experiencing this joy. It's not because we're missing all the fun in the world. That's not it. Or that there's, there are too many rules in the Christian life. The reason is that we're, we're trying to have it both ways. We're trying to get a little bit of joy from the Lord, you know, because we know that there's something there. And then we're trying to get some joy from the world, right? But we're not fully satisfied in God. And that's why we're not experiencing a satisfaction with this joy and happiness. And so if you have this lasting kind of joy in your life in this season, I want to show us how you can have more of it with God's word today. And if for some of us, we would say, I'm struggling. It is a very low moment in my life. Maybe things are not going well. Maybe you're not getting what you want. None of your desires are being satisfied and you just don't feel good. Listen, because of the good news of the gospel, you can still experience in a deeply profound sense the joy of the Lord. In fact, that's what God wants us to do. He wants you, he wants me to experience this kind of joy more and more and more and more. Amen? Our teaching text is from 1 Peter chapter 1. As you know, we read it right at the beginning of the sermon, verses 3 and 9. And by the way, just for some context, because it helps, Apostle Paul is writing this book to a persecuted church. Things are not going well at all externally. And I want us to catch how Peter opens the letter to the persecuted church. I mean, a church that had all the reasons in the world to be unhappy. So first, let's look at verses three to five. Three to five. We'll split it into three different sections. But first, let's reread again verses three to five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his Great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And I want us to really, really, really focus on that living hope, okay? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. How beautiful is that? Can I get us to this week, just read this passage, 1 Peter 1, 3, 9, over and over and over and over again. Let it just wash over you. It is absolutely beautiful. The second point that I want to make is this, especially looking at these verses. Real joy comes not from many hopes, but from the living hope. Again, Real joy comes not from many hopes, but from the living hope. So again, the first point, just so we're, 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 you know, so we're summarizing. Joy is the feeling that we get from being satisfied in God, and now real joy comes not from many hopes, but from the living hope. I love how he starts with the word blessed. He says, blessed be God. This reminds me of a book in the Bible called Job. Anyone read Job? Yeah. 
it is a long book, sure, but it's, it's, it's on suffering. And there's this line in Job uh, chapter 1, verse 21. And, and by the way, the context of Job is that there's this horrendous stuff that's happening uh, in Job's life at the hands of the devil. He loses all of his possessions, all of his riches, and his children die as well. And he's, he's living the worst that life, you know, has to offer. And in this unexpected and surprising line, verse 21, chapter 1, yeah, verse 21, chapter 1, which is actually his response to all the suffering in his life, he says this, blessed be the name of the Lord. Are you kidding me? Did you catch that? He still finds a way to bless the Lord. He still finds a way to praise the Lord in the midst of, of some heavy suffering. I mean, you look at, and we, we could go on and on with examples like this in the Bible, but you look at these great examples in scripture of regular people, followers, disciples of Jesus, just like us. And when things are going very, very badly for them, and we're not talking about spilling milk, we're not talking about that. But a season or many seasons in a row being pummeled by heart-wrenching events in the crazy part is that they are able to somehow conjure up this out-of-the-world joy to genuinely say, blessed be the name of the Lord. How is that possible? But going back to our teaching text, that's the kind of joy that Peter has. It, and he wants to infuse that into our lives as well by the, obviously, God through the Holy Spirit. And in this joy that he, he talks about, and this is something that we, we need to get today, church. There is a connection between the joy of the Lord and this living hope that he is talking about. There's a connection between what your hope is in and the joy that you have or the joy that you experience out of this hope. A good theologian said it like this. You can't get through life unless you learn how to get through suffering. And you can't get through suffering unless you have a living hope. And this is just a matter of fact. Do you want to understand how the Holy Spirit bears this kind of joy in your life? Do we want that? Yes, we do. Well, then you need to know that there is a close relationship between suffering, this living hope, Enjoy. There's a close relationship. And listen, suffering, we all know this, is a part of this world. It's built in. <laughs> we can't get away from it. If it wasn't your experience yet, it will be your experience at some point in your life. That's just the way it is. And suffering and a living hope are crucial components to answering the question of how do we have the real kind of joy that is not contingent on feeling good or buying what you want or gratifying your desires? Well, the last few years of life on planet Earth have been pretty revealing on how unsteady many of our hopes are, right? How insecure our hopes have been. Maybe you put your hope in money, but the stock market just boop, right? Maybe your hope was in security or in comfort, or maybe it was in relationships, and all those relationships now are struggling. Maybe your hope was in your accomplishments, or your health, or your beauty, or physical appearance, and now, I don't know where they're at. This is just a small sampling of things that we put our hope in. We have many hopes, don't we? Oh, boy. But real joy doesn't come from these 
And, and I want us to see that all of these things are not living hopes. They're not. These are things that can be taken away in a moment, in a breath. And even if you have all the power and all the resources to, to kind of somewhat control life, control quote unquote, no one can control their life. And even if you somehow can live a relatively free, you know, suffering free life and mostly do what you want, I don't know who, who that may be, maybe Jeff Bezos, I don't know. The reality is that none of those things can save your soul from death in the end anyways. And none of them can truly satisfy your heart and your deepest cravings and desires. Only Jesus can. Only the living hope in the gospel can. Someone put it like this, a great theologian. It is a, a stark example, but it's very important for us to talk about. And I quote, if it were not for the death of Jesus in our place, the only possible joy would be the joy of delusion. Like the joy on the Titanic just before it hit the iceberg. Without the cross, joy could be sustained only by denying consciously and subconsciously the fact that divine judgment is coming. In fact, that's the kind of joy that drives most of the world. A joy that preserves the power of its pleasure by being oblivious to the perils just ahead. Their joy depends on their ignorance, end of quote. And you say, aren't we supposed to, to, to be talking about joy today, Ovi? What, what is this divine judgment? What's this suffering talk? Like, you, you know, wrath talk? What? If we are going to talk about a true joy, we need to talk about the true gospel. They are inseparable. They are attached and Jesus said something similar. What does it gain you? What does it profit you if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? What Jesus is saying is this. Even if you have the perfect life here and now, and you haven't had your soul saved from, from death, and you haven't responded to the gospel, what does it actually get you in the end? The answer is nothing. Or destruction. Or hell. And yet the gospel is this extraordinarily and astonishingly good news that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and that, and that good news produces the real kind of joy. When I, when I realize that I'm broken as broken can be and when I realize that it's impossible for me to save myself and I'm headed full throttle towards hell, and when I learned the good news of the gospel that Jesus snatched me away from this conveyor belt headed for destruction and he saved me and he brought me to life and he forgave my sin and he gave me a new identity and he put in me his spirit. He gave me a new eternity. There cannot be another response but one of inexplicable joy. Right? Let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 10, and it, and it speaks. This is where the angels are announcing the good news to the shepherds. And, and it says, I bring you good news of what? Of great joy that will be for all the people. Are you all the people? Am I all the people? This is the good news of the gospel. 
And yes, it includes divine judgment for our sins, for all the people that do not accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But the good news of the gospel is the reality that God loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus into our world to actually suffer in our place and die on the cross for the sins of the world. And he was raised back to life so that we might experience not just forgiveness of sins, but that we might experience this thing called eternal life. And not just one day when we get to heaven, but church, right here and right now, you can have eternal life. And that will be great joy for all the people that accept Jesus Christ. Amen? We might say it like this, and this is our third main point for today. The good news of Jesus outweighs the bad news or the bad, yeah, the bad news of life. Amen? The good news of Jesus outweighs the bad news of life. Again, to recap our main points, joy is the feeling that you get from being satisfied in God. And then real joy comes not from many hopes, but from the living hope. And now the good news of Jesus outweighs the bad news of life. Friends, there's a lot of bad news in the world. (laughs) It doesn't take too long when you scroll on your social media to learn of some bad news, right? We personally experience so much bad news all the time. But the good news of of Jesus is that you can have great joy in spite of all of that. Do we still believe that, by the way? Do we still believe it? Or as Peter describes it in our text, it's imperishable. This joy, this living hope is imperishable. It's undefiled. It cannot be taken away from you. And I want to tell you that this joy can be yours today. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it can be yours today. When we have this living hope that Peter is talking about, all of a sudden we have these unshakable things that Ephesians chapter 1, remember when we went through Ephesians, we have every blessing in Jesus in the heavenly realms, right? We will get an imperishable body one day, by the way. We, We don't have to worry about it, that it fades or it fails, we will have perfect community and, 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 and relationships forever. We will be in God's presence and have this deep sense of joy that will only increase every single day in heaven. And every day in heaven will be better than the last. How about that? And the starting point, the first day in heaven is, I did not think I could feel this much joy in my heart. So imagine a million years in eternity that God would have to stretch our faculties and minds to get more joy because we cannot contain it. This living hope that we have sustains us truly through the trials of life. But even if you have a living hope, you will still experience trials and suffering, don't we? And I want to dig a little deeper into that, and Peter talks about it in the next two verses because we want to be faithful to where Peter has taken us. So verses six and seven, let me just read them again. In this you rejoice. So then again, not not in the trials, but we rejoice in what? In this living hope, right? That's what he's saying. Though now for a little while, you may be grieved by various trials. Can I just pause for one second? Even if it's your whole life, even if it's your whole life, these various trials, keep that in mind. 
So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our fourth main point is this, and it's, it's not an easy one to swallow. Suffering is essential for our growth, and joy is a fruit of that growth. Suffering is essential for our growth, and joy is a fruit of that growth. Again, I know that this may be a lot, but let's just recap all the points. The first one, joy is this feeling that you get from being satisfied in God. And then we looked at the fact that real joy comes not from many hopes, but from the living hope. And then good news, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ outweighs the bad news of life. And now suffering is essential for our growth. And joy is a fruit of that growth. Let me bring another dynamic into the mix. Another virtue into the mix, and that virtue is spiritual formation or growth. You can say growth or growing or maturity or maturing, right? It's, it's the same thing, spiritual formation. There's a close relationship, again, that we cannot get away from between spiritual formation, this maturing, this growth, this growing, and suffering and joy. They are all connected together somehow. Also, the term that Peter is using to describe trials here, it's not necessarily a word that describes only persecution, even though he is writing to the persecuted church. And that's why I think it's so helpful for us. He's literally referring to various trials. That's literally anything that produces suffering. So if you're facing a trial of any kind, if you have some suffering in your life, you are part of this category, by the way, right? That's just so we get that straight. And when we suffer through these trials of life, what happens is it's actually a testing of our faith. That's what Peter is saying. And by the way, James 1 says the same thing. We're not going to get into that, but I hope that you still remember James 1. It's a way that God uses, just like fire is used to refine gold, God is using it to refine and grow our faith and actually draw us closer to him. That's what he's doing. If you think of yourself as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ, and you should. If you're in Christ, you should because you are, right? There are different levels of a follower or a disciple of Jesus, and everyone fits in one of these categories. People split them in slightly different ways, but, but here are the five levels of, of maturity of, of, in discipleship. You're either a pre-faith, pre-faith, that's you don't know Christ yet, so a lot of people are still in that category, or you're new to faith, or you're young in your faith, or you're growing, or maturity. You're, you're mature, right? That doesn't mean that you stop growing, but you have reached a level of maturity. And when you reach maturity, that's when you start to see multiplication in your life, in, in, in maturity in your life. And the cycle kind of repeats because you're discipling others at, at this level it, it, with success. And you see a lot of result, a lot of fruit, right? And frankly, that's what God wants from all of us. And that maturity, by the way, is where you grow, where the Holy Spirit is growing a lot of fruit in you. Like you're more loving, you're more self-controlled, you have more joy. There's that too, right? So to get to maturity so that you could, you know, use us to, 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 make, to make, to become more and more like Christ. Okay. Now, the point that I'm trying to make is this. If we look at this discipleship path, what happens is reading the Bible and praying and going to church and, and all these disciplines help you mature and grow on this discipleship path. I think we're all kind of aware of that. So these disciples, they help big time. 
But do you know that biblically speaking, there's another major thing that helps you move along this discipleship path towards maturity? Do you know what it is? Suffering. Suffering. And that's not a fun thing to talk about, but that's the truth in the biblical reality. Suffering. Because what suffering does, it's like, it's like a fire that refines your faith. And do you know why suffering is essential? Because I'm asking myself the same question, like, why, Lord? Can't you just avoid suffering in my life? Because if we're honest, if we're honest, we would clearly observe that it's extremely difficult to see your need for God when things are going well. That's why. You're just blinded. You're blinded. We're blinded. We're all blinded. Church and friends, it's actually our proximity to God that determines the amount of joy the Spirit grows in our lives. I'll say that again. It's actually our proximity to God that determines the amount of joy the Spirit grows in our life. And suffering is key in getting us closer to God. As C.S. Lewis put it, suffering is God's megaphone. As C.S. Lewis also said this, and he put it so eloquently, and I quote, good things as well as bad are caught by a kind of infection. We're all aware of infections, right, COVID? If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. How beautiful. That right there is the connection between suffering and spiritual formation and joy. Because suffering forces our hand to recognize that those fading hopes that we have, they are not actually cutting it. They're not. They are not actually providing security. They are crumbling foundations. The only certain unshakable foundation is the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of the gospel. Amen? And suffering drives us back to God as our refuge so that our proximity is closer to him. And the closer we are to God, who, by the way, is the source of all the joy in all of the universe, Psalm 16, 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And the closer we are, the closer you are to the source of true joy in the universe, the more joy you will experience, even if externally you're facing trials. So suffering is essential for our growth. And joy is a fruit of that growth. Peter continues with verses eight and nine and says this, the last two verses. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you not, do, though do, do not now see him, let me do that again. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's one of the best phrases that I've ever heard for joy. Rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible. <laughs> That's beautiful. I want you to recall the happiest moment of your life that I, that I asked um, at the beginning of the sermon. Would you recall that? What if I told you that that wasn't as good as it gets? What if I told you that instead of that being 10 and the rest of life being two or whatever, <laughs> What if I told you that your happiest experience in life was a one or a point one or a 
0.0000001. Would you believe me? <laughs> and this is what Apostle P- Peter is trying to get across by this expression, rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible. He is trying to say that the kind of joy that God has for us and wants to grow in us by the Holy Spirit means that the happiest joy that you've experienced in life so far is just scratching the surface compared to the kind of joy that is available to us in the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So if we pay attention to this joy that Peter is talking about, he's actually referring to a joy that is hinged to this like future hope, right? That's, that's what we get. Hinge of this future hope. And the truth is that there is something marvelous, church, taking place in the future that is causing us to experience joy in the present, the here and now. So the last point that we want to make is this. A future hope, but a present joy. A future hope, but a present joy. Again, the first point Joy is the feeling you get from being satisfied in God. And then we looked at that, that this real joy comes not from many hopes, but from one living hope. And then the good news of Jesus outweighs the bad news of life. And then suffering is essential for our growth. And joy is the fruit of that growth. And now a future hope, but a present joy. Makes me think about Christmas. How many Christmas lovers do we have in the house this morning? A few. People love Christmas, not just for December 25th, right? People love the whole Christmas season, and some people even think about Christmas like in, in the summer. <laughs> whatever, whatever floats your boat. You're excited for the lights and the carols and the presents and the Christmas music. What I'm talking about is this great feeling you get for normal people at the beginning of December, not now, at the beginning of December, leading up to something that you know with certainty is coming, and you get excited about Christmas. And that's the reality and the excitement and the joy that we have in the living hope of Christ. There is this future reality, church, that we sometimes forget about, that Jesus Christ is coming back. We forget that he's gone ahead of us, right, to prepare a place for us. We forget that we have an out-of-this-world beautiful home waiting for us a beautiful family waiting for us. We forget that we will have every tear wiped away from our faces. We have sorrow that will be turned into joy. And that is a certainty waiting for us. And when you know that all of that is just around the corner and you have a living hope in that reality, it causes us inevitably to experience joy right here and right now. It's not only a joy for then, no, but a joy that we can experience here and now as well. A future hope, but a present joy. Jesus actually speaks to to his disciples and he's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. And and specifically, he's talking about the the three days of suffering, uh, the time between his death and his resurrection, right? And he's not trying to minimize the sorrow of his disciples, no. But this is what he says in John 16, 22. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. 
The reality is, church, that for every Good Friday, there is an Easter Sunday. For every suffering, for every trial, for every death that we experience, there is a resurrection in the goodness of the gospel. That's why the gospel is central to us being able to experience this kind of joy. It's not peripheral, it's central. It's not this, well, I'm glad I'm forgiven, but how can I get the most out of life, you know, because I'm missing out? How can I get the most joy in this world? Because otherwise, you know, (laughs) listen, the gospel is central to our experience of joy in this life. That's the only kind of joy that no one will be able to take away from you and from us. And that's a joy worth having in your life because it's the the only real lasting joy and the one that really satisfies. So how do we practically get to experience this kind of joy? How, you know, can we just flip a switch and the Holy Spirit just pours joy in, in, in our hearts? It is a fruit of the Spirit, right? So do we just, like, what do we do? Do we play a part in this? Well, you we mentioned this in our love sermon as well. That there is actually something that we can do to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit's growing this fruit of joy in our life. And so I just want to give us one practice, one thing that we can pursue, one thing that we can actually, you know, open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit's growing joy in our life. And it's this, enjoy God. (laughs) I know it's pretty general, but are you enjoying God? Are, 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 am I enjoying God? Do we realize the fact that if we only enjoy God's blessings and God's gifts, then there's a problem deep inside in our hearts? Do you understand how shallow our faith would be if that were the case? One of the goals of the Christian life is not only to enjoy the gifts that God gives to us on a daily basis, like food, water, home, car, money, vacations, nature, music, but what with that we would grow in our relationship with him and start enjoying him for who he is and enjoying his presence on a daily basis. We talked a little bit about this in our love sermon, if you recall. Slowing down in our spiritual disciplines. Anyone remember? That's fine if you do not. But slowing down in our spiritual disciplines so that we enjoy God's loving presence. Are you doing that? Enjoying him when we read our Bible. Enjoying when we pray, you know? When we worship him with our church family, do you enjoy God? Do you look for opportunities to enjoy God in your spiritual disciplines? The reality is that spiritual disciplines, especially at first, because at the beginning they are not yet a habit in our life, and because of that it will take some discipline (laughs) and a schedule, and it takes some planning, and it takes some intentionality, but hear me out, please. Disciplines should grow into desires. Disciplines should grow into desires. Disciplines should grow into cravings. Craving that time with God, craving prayer, craving being in God's word, craving worship with God's people. If you don't feel anything yet, if you do not feel anything yet when you pray or when, you, when you're with God's people, you actually feel the opposite, you're kind of bored. And passive, it's because you haven't given it enough time. Listen, friend, spiritual disciplines, given enough time, they will grow into desire. 
So just submit to the process. Be obedient. It will take some sacrifice. It will take some discipline. But given enough time, it will grow into a desire. And in time, you will find that you will crave the time in God's word. Psalm 27.4 is an awesome example of this. Check this out. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I wonder if somebody asked you, what would you choose to have if you could only have one thing? How many of us would say to gaze upon the beauty of God for the rest of our life? Because you want that, you crave that. And what that reveals is where we are trying to get our hopes from. That's what it reveals. Are we trying to get our joy ultimately from the things of this world, from gratifying our desires, or are we trying to get our joy from the only one that can fully satisfy us, which is God? If we want to be a church that experiences this fruit of the Spirit, joy, not only for our benefit, but church, how appealing is that to the world? to show our friends, our neighbors, to show the people that are lost that true joy is found in Jesus Christ alone and not come to church because we're all miserable, you know? (laughs) No, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus says in John 15, I have spoken these things to you that my joy will be in you and that your joy will be what? Full, complete, overflowing Jesus expects us, you and me as his followers, just to actually be the happiest people in the world. And if that's not our experience, I would say, then the only answer is that we have misplaced our hopes. And those hopes are now leading to this inexpressible kind of joy. Would you stand with me? Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.